Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and everything else in between. What's up, guys? It's Denny. Let's get into the specials. Drake was spotted wearing a sweatshirt that read, Ye must be born again, leading fans to think he was dissing Kanye. While real ones aren't surprised, the man whose name is Aubrey, that goes by Drake, only speaks in Old English. Guys, USA Basketball finished 7th at the FIBA World Cup. The team lost to France and Serbia along the way, proving that our basketball imperialism is alive and well. And so is Greg Popovich's long-term plan to get Kawhi back in San Antonio. That's right, he's playing the long con. Anybody that's ever seen any breakup movie knows that they always get back together in the end. It's really just a Netflix algorithm at the end of the day. And lastly, researchers at the Allen Institute last week demonstrated in a new paper that artificial intelligence could get a 90 on an 8th grade science test and an 80 on a 12th grade one. This is up 30% from the same experiment in 2016, proving once and for all that a little bit of extra help and cheating on your neighbor goes a long way. My name's Danny Gallagher, and you are listening to Later. Live from New York. You are listening to the sometimes glamorous, always cantankerous, borderline magnanimous audio art of the new James Brown. Move over, Charlie Brown. There's a new kid in town. Whether it's 5 o'clock while you are or not, you better take a shot because a later Friday big show is coming in hot. Welcome on into the show. This is Later. You made it. My name is Denny Gallagher. Welcome again. We got a good one for you today. Megan McPeak, the voice of the Washington Mystics, the Washington Go-Go's, all of the basketball teams in D.C. Megan McPeak has you covered, has had a fantastic journey. Uh, she was the first woman in 30 years to call a NBA game last year. Very excited to talk to her. We've gotten to know her while working at Sirius. We've had her on the show a few times, and she's phenomenal. She drops the knowledge. Anything you wanted to know about the WNBA playoffs, she got it. Anything you wanted to know about becoming a play-by-play broadcaster, she's got it. So that's coming up in just a, a little bit. Very excited about that. Guys, it's fall. And as you know, it becomes, yes, and for those of you holding out or for those of you that live in warm climates, it is fall. Though it's been, it's been high 70s, 80s here in New York this week, so it's been phenomenal. But I want to know this. You know, I know people in... Families, people that are younger like to go apple picking as a kid. But when you become older, does does going to a cidery replace apple picking for you? I know I did this the, this past weekend. Went up to the Angry Orchard. That was phenomenal. But if you're ever in upstate New York, check it out. But I'm legitimately curious about that. And you can send your answer to laterpodcast at gmail.com. We're always looking for information. The other thing. And we're going to keep the central really tight this week because I'm heading to the airport. Going out on a little mission to record some interviews for you in the coming week. So I'm excited for you guys to hear what I come back with. As always, looking for your suggestions. I guess I'll just let the cat out of the bag. Heading to LA. Going to record some a few things. It's going to be a great time. Can't wait for you guys to hear. But if you have any... Food, drink, things I should see, things I should do. I mean, I don't have much time. I'm not going for long. But if you have any suggestions, send them later. Podcast at gmail.com. 
Haven't been too locked into the football. You know, when your team sucks, my team's the Giants. When your team sucks, it's easy to find something else to do on a Sunday afternoon rather than spend your time inside. As I said, it's been beautiful out. So, you know, you really get to explore your neighborhood, spend time with loved ones, spend time with all that stuff. So really being liberated from football since the Giants have decided to not invest in their product has really been great for me. So there's that. And, you know, I think without any further ado, because I got to run. Let's get right to our interview with Megan McPeak. And as always, leading in to our interview, here's our song of the day. She's the voice of the Go-Go. So, you know, this kind of sounded like Go-Go music to me. It's the Rudy Cootsie. It's the Prince Madhouse edit. So enjoy the music. Little something a little different this week. But Go-Go music, we have the voice of the go is coming up in just a little bit. So without any further ado, here is Megan McPeak. It's weird because I don't uh, I don't do playoffs, so I just get to watch. <laughs> oh, really? So <laughs> yeah, what does it like, have you doing? So I'll do some stuff on like team and network social media, right? Um, just because with ESPN coming in, even Monumental can't take the games. Hmm. So I'll just be doing stuff via social for. Uh, like Instagram and Twitter and stuff. Awesome. Very cool. Well, before we get into the WNBA playoff stuff, I just want to touch on your career a little bit because I think it's been pretty interesting. Before you were a broadcaster, you were a player. Pretty good one. At what moment did you know that that you had a chance to play in college? I kind of... So it's funny. Like in high school, I was was actually like ready to give it up Um, in my senior year. Senior year? I think junior, senior year. I was kind of like realizing like maybe I'm not going to go to college maybe this isn't going to work out the way I hoped um and it was like one of my one of my best friends dads um got me to continue playing like AAU uh with another program and that kind of rejuvenated my love of the game um and then you know a school took interest in me um I was one of those players who didn't really have any interests um, coming in or anything like that. So the school that did take interest in me, I was like, you know what, why not try it out, see how it goes. Um, I ended up transferring after my freshman year to Humber, which is where I finished my college career. And, um, it kind of just took off from there and fell back in love with the game and then was sort of going through college preparing for, okay, so I want to play pros, but what am I going to do afterwards? And that's where radio came into play. Um, and was preparing to have like life after playing, but then, uh, life after playing happened quicker than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) So how did your first job come about? How did you prepare for it? So six months after graduating college, uh, a friend of mine that was, you know, coworker at just a retail store, uh, alumni of my hometown university, uh, got an email. They were looking for broadcasters. Um, I didn't know if they would pick me because I didn't go to the school, so I just went for the interview and stuff, and uh, they liked me. So six months after graduation, I was right into uh, radio at McMaster University and, and doing it there. And um, originally was just supposed to be an analyst, um, but uh, the person that was doing play-by-play, they fell ill. So I was asked to step in and fill in, and I haven't looked back. So I did that at McMaster University in Hamilton for four seasons, unpaid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was doing play-by-play on radio for four years, so I got valuable experience that um, 
until I retire from doing this job, I will forever be thankful for because I mean, how many people can graduate and immediately be doing what they want their career to end up like? Um, and then I went to uh, Brampton with the A's and I was there, I believe I was there for two or three seasons. Um, and then that's when the 905 came about and, and was there for three seasons. And now I'm in DC and kind of just adding and adding and adding. I'm super interested how you made the jump. So were you always kind of eyeing uh, stateside, like NBA or that kind of thing? I mean, you're you're doing the 905, NBA TV Canada, all that stuff. So was that something that you were eyeing all along or? Yeah, I always wanted to get to the U.S. Um, with the Raptors being the only pro team in basketball in Canada, it was very limited opportunity. Um, and, you know, all the guys that have been there uh, since I can remember, they aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and I was okay with that. So it was just a realization that I made very early on that if I want to have more opportunity and grow, I need to go stateside. And um, I want to say it was my second year with the 905. I ended up getting uh, my agent, who I'm still with now, um, part of the Wasserman group, and made that decision just because not living in the u.s you don't have the connections and the contacts so i felt it would be uh the best of my benefit to get in contact with someone who would have those connections uh, and i reached out to a few people and got some contacts for people and um i've been with uh been with debbie uh now going on i think four seasons um and she's been great and really helpful and i've uh, been able to work with a broadcast coach as well, um, who is a longtime play-by-play, Mark Zumoff with the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. So he's my broadcast coach. And just being able to have those connections and, and ask questions has really helped. And, and yeah, wanting to be in the U.S. has always kind of been a dream. Um, I've always wanted to, when I was younger, um, in my early days of radio, I wanted to be the Canadian Doris Burke, basically. <laughs> Um, and I still, I still kind of do, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just want to be my own version uh, of her. Um, just being able to be within like the NBA umbrella, uh, and do everything. It, it's been really great, but just the amount of progression I've made in the past two years, um, with contacts and stuff like that has been fantastic. Now I ask everybody this, that broadcast podcast, whatever, everybody hates the sound of their own voice. I hate sound. Of it. I'm sure at some <laughs> point you did too. How did you get over that? And how did you, how did you kind of adjust and find your center? I still hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, like anytime when my, when my agent sends me like my updated reels to listen to, I'm like, Oh, I hate this time. <laughs> um, but no, like, it's just something like we all think we sound different than what everybody hears. I don't think there's anyone in TV or radio or podcasting that for the first bit of their career hasn't hated listening to themselves. Um, I'll, I'm, I'm more and more getting used to it and, and just accepting it. Um, there's nothing I can do to change the way I sound and I'm okay with that. I've accepted it, but yeah, early on I would, especially cause radio, and like you think radio and podcasting, like there's no visual to go with it. Um, so it's just your voice. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of dealing with it and, and accepting it now. I'll probably be good in a couple of years. But yeah, at the beginning, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you work with up there at, at TSN? I'm guessing Paul Jones and like that whole crew. And what did you learn from them that you've applied to your broadcasting style? I, I was blessed 
being able to work with all of those guys. Um, the Raptors being in Canada and the Canadian broadcasting numbers not having an impact on the U.S. side, they have a very unique situation up there um, that the other 29 teams don't have. So Matt Devlin, who's the voice of the Raptors um, for TV, he got to call the NBA playoffs right through oh, wow. um, up until the finals and all the way through that. So, and, and that's unique because of the way that things are done um, from the broadcasting standpoint. But um, Matt Devlin, Jack Armstrong, Leo Routens, hmm. Paul Jones, Sherman Hamilton, literally all of them, Rod Black, um, Kate Burness, they all have had an impact in my broadcasting career, especially because being so close to it when I was doing pre and post on radio, typically I was working with uh, Jonesy um, because he was the radio voice on TSN for the team. Um, and then it was either him, him and Sherm or it was him and Jack, depending on who had the TV that night as well, too. Very, that's a whole other podcast. We could get into it. <laughs> um, but I would be there. And because I was there early to do pregame, I got to, you know, pick their brains all the time. Um, and just, you know, when things were getting tough, I could talk to them um, and, and ask them for advice. And I still talk to them to this day. Uh, when I got the job in D.C., after, you know, my, my boss at NBA TV, who was essentially my contact for 905, and then uh, people at 905 and, of course, my family, um, the next thing I did was made contact with all of them um, and let them know that if if it wasn't for them and the impact that they had and the advice that they gave me over my three years with the 905, um, there's a very good chance that I wouldn't have been prepared enough to be in the position that I am now because mm. they might not have had a direct hand in doing um, and preparing me, but because they were there when I needed to and when I asked, they were open to talk. They had you know, they had their, their fingertips and their hands in what everything that was going on um, for me to be where I am. So I'll be forever thankful. And they're also just amazing people. Mm. So what was last spring like for you with this Raptors run? I know you weren't part of the organization, but watching it from afar, I know it felt like Paul Jones was calling in to NBA radio like every other day, just stoked <laughs> out of his mind. Yeah, it was it was crazy because I got asked like a million times. I don't think I've ever been asked this question so much until this run started. Everybody was asking if I regretted making the decision to move. And I will never for a day in my life regret that move because I had to do what was best for myself and my career. Um, and it was the correct decision. Would it have been cool to see that run uh, firsthand? Of course. Um, I don't think you'd find a broadcaster in this world that would not want to see uh, a team that they worked for make a run to the NBA Finals and then win it. But I'm actually thankful that I got to see it from an outside perspective um, because when you're sort of in that bubble around the team, it's hard to hear what everybody is saying. But being, you know, removed from it, I got to hear, you know, the collective NBA voices um, and not just disagree because I worked for the team or anything like that. So, yeah, I felt like every day that I drove in, I was hearing Jonesy in some capacity on one of the many shows on, on NBA radio. And I was just like, I didn't even need anybody to introduce him just because I know that voice. And he could say one word and I'm like, yep, Jonesy's on again. <laughs> it made booking the show so easy because you could just text him and be like, oh, third show in a row. Let's go. Let's do it. 
Oh right. Him or, him or Leo <laughs> yeah, and right? Jack are always ready to go. They're always ready. <laughs> oh, my goodness. By the way, just a, a complete aside, I can't believe the list of the, I think it was 100, 100 best players in the NBA came out. And I'm personally a Bucks fan, worked in Milwaukee at the start of my career, like Giannis's first few years. Kawhi's better than Giannis. I think we know this. I think the Eastern Conference Finals proved this. Just your thoughts on number one list and number two, how on earth could you have Giannis above LeBron or Kawhi at this point? As a former player, I hate lists. Um, because... <laughs> but as a media member, you love them now. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I actually, so like, I actually don't like them because what your opinion is is not necessarily like what you, what your guidelines for your opinion is is not going to be necessarily the same as mine and the same as Susie Q and John Smith and 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 Michael Q. Like we're all going to have different so like it's the whole the, the goat conversation. <laughs> you could ask you could take five people from, you know, five different eras and they're all going to have different guidelines as to why so and so is the goat for them and what goes into that conversation for right. them. So from that standpoint, I don't like lists because no one's going off of the same opinion and the same guidelines. Um, how Giannis is above Kawhi and LeBron, it still baffles <laughs> me. Um, it's also too like when you look at like 2K ratings, how are like for me, and I understand like they do it as a projection, but how are rookies getting 70 and 80 <laughs> 2K ratings when they haven't played an NBA right. game in their life? <laughs> On an NBA game, like, and I get it, like they're doing it based on the projection of where they think they should could be midway through or through the first like, through the rookie season. But in my opinion, every rookie should be a zero rating because you haven't played. Um, or like yeah, when you're like, in like franchise mode and you automatically start at sixty and you have to build your way up, like that whole thing. Right, like it, it, I, it. But hey, I mean, gamers love it; they still do it. So from that standpoint, like, yeah. How Giannis, and don't get me wrong, Giannis is an, is an all-world talent. Mm. And he's if he can get that jump shot to fall um, and be consistent, he is going to take over this league. Don't get right. me wrong. Exactly. Don't, I do not disagree with his talent. But as you said, I think the Eastern Conference Finals proved that Kawhi is better. And I think if you, excuse me, if you put him in a seven-game series with LeBron, I think the same thing happens. LeBron is going to show why he is a better player um but again what were how, how many milwaukee media members were on the on the list of, of members right. that went into vote how many Giannis fans were on the list of voters um that went into this vote so to not know what the stipulations and hey this is this is the guideline of what what goes in into your vote but you still also don't know like did some people vote against LeBron because they just don't like him? <laughs> yeah. And he didn't answer one of their questions the way they liked it. Like, you know, you don't know if there's personal bias mm. going into this as well. And especially the the fact that this voting can go on during the FIBA World Cup where apparently Giannis still can't shoot a three. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's 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 neither here nor there. But I, I want to get back to your career because you did something that we had you on Insiders after. You were the first woman to call an NBA game in 30 years. So take me through how that happens um, and if you could fully in that moment process what you were doing. It, so it came about with, with Monumental Sports Network and NBC Sports Washington preseason games. Um, they'll share them sometimes depending on uh, the matchups and, and obviously the, 
the amount of cost that goes into it um, for the network. And they made the decision that they wanted to do one of the preseason games. Um, and the timing worked in my favor that I got the job offer and everything was done and ready to go um, in time for the game. The biggest holdup was just waiting to find out if my visa uh, to work in the U.S. would get approved. And timing worked in my favor. <laughs> um, so I knew when the job was offered to me that should the visa go through and everything, that, that was going to be an opportunity for me to do. Um, and it was also just an opportunity for now Monumental Basketball um, and the network to introduce what would be the GoGo fans and the G League fans to who would be doing their games uh, for the G League season. So myself, Tony Massenberg, um, who's an NBA vet, um, and then Dan Nolan, who's our sideline reporter, um, the three of us did the game and it was, it was kind of crazy because I didn't, I actually didn't realize that morning, uh, leading up to the game that Candace Buckner's, uh, story was also going to drop, hmm. um, the exact same day. I thought it was going to drop the day before, to be honest with you. Um, but then when I got the call the morning of, uh, to talk to her and, and give her some quotes and stuff, um, it wasn't until I hung up that I was like, oh, like, okay, so the story's not ready. Cool, that's, that's okay. And then um, I was actually, like, getting ready um, to get breakfast, and then my phone just starts blowing up. And I was like, like, what, what's going on? Um, and I'm just, like, getting all these, like, tweet notifications and, like, messages. And, I like, to the point where, Denny, I couldn't keep up with my phone. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat my breakfast and like just let my phone chill because every time I would go to respond, some like I'd get another notification. It was a little bit overwhelming, um, especially for a game day. <laughs> but uh yeah, I kinda just like answered to the people that I could answer to. Um, and then I had to do like the typical like, okay, like clearly this is now public knowledge, so I can talk about it. Cause I, I wasn't able to Instagram anything. Um, cause it, it hadn't, the press release hadn't gone out and stuff like that. So I had to, I was like, felt like I was like covertly traveling between Toronto and the U S <laughs> um, back and forth to, to get to the game and stuff like that. And then I kind of put a tweet out and I just left it there, did something on Instagram and left it there. And then I was like, okay, I need to just focus on this game and not worry about what's happening with my social media. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, it probably wasn't until maybe halftime that I kind of took in what was happening. Um, and then after the game, um, I went to the Pistons locker room um, and told security that I was a, I was a former coworker and friend uh, with coach Casey um, who was previously with Toronto and now with the Pistons. And it wasn't until he walked out and like was shocked to see me there. Keep in mind, Denny, he's walking up and down the sideline the whole game doesn't even recognize that it's me like he we made eye contact a couple times but i don't think it registered um that it like no like oh that's megan and then he walked out of the locker room like it almost was like a kind of like a proud dad moment like he then realized like that was you and it was like in that moment that i was like i i really just did that like that like this isn't a dream like this is really happening and i think for me just like to be able to get through the game um, and it not fully register until afterwards when my adrenaline was starting to come down. I think that was actually good for me because it allowed me to just call the game and focus on the job I was there to do. 
uh, and not focus on everything surrounding um, what I was doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Coolest person to hit you up during during that time that you're like, they even know who the heck I am? I wouldn't say it was during that time, but it was like, it was kind of before that. Um, getting the follow from Doris Burke on Twitter. Oh, that's, that's huge. That's huge. <laughs> Uh, that was pretty cool. And then just, but also too, like just throughout this year, um, this previous NBA season, when teams would come in and stuff like that, if I was around on a game day for Wizards, people from the opposing team, I had a couple different coaches, assistant coaches and stuff, just congratulate me, which is kind of crazy because you don't think people really pay attention. Um, especially cause they have like, they've got 82 games to worry <laughs> about. So, um, and just like the the support from the entire Wizards organization as well too, not just not just um, Pops and and Jarrell, who former head coach and, and current general manager of the Go Go, but just like like Scott Brooks even too, mm-hmm. just you know like after you know season gets underway and I, he starts to see me around a lot more and realizes like oh okay I can put a face to a name type of thing, um, and then just like the players and stuff like that, it's it was just really it was welcoming because it can, that can be like an, that's a, that's a heck of a way to start <laughs> my new job is just like, Oh, okay. And then this bombardment of, um, media and social media kind of going crazy. So it was just, it was nice to just have it slowly happen <laughs> rather than all at one time. So yeah, it was kind of cool, but probably the, the coolest moment was the follow from Doris Burke. So what you're telling me is you're about 10 years away from Drake wearing your face on a t-shirt sideline. That's what you're telling me. Okay. <laughs> Casual. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So the Mystics have had quite the year. The number one overall seed, WNBA. Uh, they get going next week. Um, the big thing that people have, have been talking about is Deladon the lock for the MVP. In my opinion, yes. Yeah. I don't know. Looking at you know teams that are left, um, I don't know who else you give it to, and. I at at one point in the season I thought it was a three player race between her Neko Gumake uh, in LA and uh, Natasha Howard, um, and I think that nasal fracture happens and uh, Deladon. That's when she kind of took off afterwards. So you know she breaks her nose in like a minute and a half in LA, doesn't finish that game and then subsequently misses the next two and. Since that mark, if I'm not mistaken, their record, they have only lost two games with her in the lineup. Um, and you look at the 50-40-90. Then you add in, you know, the all-world talent in setting a, the 300 mark with blocks. And what she does from a standpoint of, yeah, you can you can have the game plan of let's take Deladon out of the game and make the rest of the team beat her. Normally that could work, but what Mike Co- what, what Coach Mike Tebow did as the coach and general manager of this team and and putting this roster together, he surrounded her with talent that can put the ball in the hoop and isn't afraid to put the ball in the hoop. So yeah, okay, you can double her, triple her, but her basketball IQ is at such a level that she might not give you the twenty or thirty that night because of the defense, but she might give you you know, eight, nine assists because she's finding her teammates and getting them open shots. And that's just, that's the threat that she brings is you have to, as a defense, respect her 
that the defense converges and it leaves two or three open shooters. And the fact that they've put up godly numbers from beyond the three-point line as a team this season, it shows that, like, yeah, okay, sure, go for it, but I'm going to find two, three, or four of my open shooters because the defense, I've now pulled three people on me. So, um, And that's not at all a disrespect to Natasha Howard because the defense have to do the same thing with her. The defenses have to do the same thing with Neko Gumake. I just don't think that those teams have as lethal shooters around them as the Mystics have constructed around Elena Deladon. So in my opinion, whether some will think that I'm being biased or not because I am the vo- the play-by-play voice of the team, um, from a ba- purely basketball viewpoint, I don't see how someone can make a case for someone else being the MVP this season. Mm. If you put her on any other team in the league, they're most likely the number one seed. I don't know if there's anyone else in the league this season that you can do that with. Diamond DeShields obviously goes for 25 the other night. You tweeted about it. WNBA Twitter was going crazy. The way the WNBA playoffs works, and I'm genuinely asking this, is it kind of like a NCAA tournament kind of feel where if, if a player's hot at the right time, it could be trouble depending on not depending on the kind of season that your team's having? Yeah, I, and I that's what I love about this new format. Um, this now, I believe it's in the third season of the one through eight um, with the playoffs. And it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's just a player as well too. It's also a team and the Chicago sky are actually a perfect example because they had a tough start to the season. Um, John Tell Lavender obviously goes down and that's a huge piece to be missing, but Stephanie Dolson, Astu Du, and uh, Cheyenne Parker have all stepped up huge for Coach James Wade, who obviously was named Coach of the Year and and well-deserving of it. Um, But they peaked at probably the best time for a team that was fighting for not just a playoff spot, but also playoff seeding, because it came down to the final game of the regular season for everybody to figure out who was five through eight in the seat, or sorry, to figure out who was four through four. Um, seven in the seating. We knew who one, two, one, two, one, three, one, two, three, and eight were. Um, what we didn't know was the rest of them, and it came down to the final season. And they peaked with you know two and a half weeks to go in the regular season. And Diamond Shields, she had games where she was fantastic, and then she had games where she struggled as well too. Um, so I was very happy to see her first game um, in the playoffs. Because that's also a tough one when it's the first one and you are looking at, okay, you've got 40 minutes and this is it. This could be your season. It is survive and advance. Um, And, you know, I tweeted it and I still stand by this. If she can continue to play at that level and what's scary is that she also is still improving upon her level of play right now um, for her future. She has the ability to take over this league plain and simple. And that is scary because of how young she is. Um, but to, to your point as well, too, from a player standpoint, if you can have one really solid game, and especially it being an elimination game, um, it gives you a confidence that if you had a tough game, but still won, you might not have. So I think her having that standout game, she needed it from a from a standpoint of just, you know, the struggle near the end of the regular season. But then also too, the team played really well they could be a very scary team in this playoff format. So it's it, it's September 29th, right? Fast forward two weeks. Who's your WNBA finals? 
I really think that we're going to see a Mystics Sparks finals. Yeah. You sold on that? You didn't seem too convinced. I I do. (laughs) And I know there's like, I'm convinced from that standpoint, just because I can see LA in a five game series, um, going up against Connecticut and utilizing the weapons that, uh, coach Fisher has, I think, and, and that's no disrespect to coach Miller and Connecticut. I just think that LA has more firepower and weapons and they have a little bit better talent. Um, mind you, some would say, well, if they have better talent, how come they don't have the number two seed? They also had injuries and struggled, but I, I, for some reason, something is just telling me that they're also just gonna fight and come away with, um, a different mindset now that it's playoffs and I can see them taking a five game series. It's going to be tough because Connecticut is a hard place to play and they do a great job um, at Mohegan sun and putting bodies in seats. But I think that we are going to get an LA uh, Washington matchup. Mind you at this point, I think whoever we get in the finals is going to be fun, but I I've, I've felt this way probably for the last month and a half that I think it's going to be a sparks uh, Sparks Mystics finals. How different do you think that the finals would feel playing actually in DC compared to at George Mason like last year? It's going to be much different, I think, um, especially too because you don't have the unknown of okay, are we going to be able to play at GMU or are we going to be at GW or can we play at Capital One? Um, it was just a tough time um, with scheduling and everything like that last year. So now that they have that solidified home court advantage. And fans have been coming night in and night out uh, to fill up ESA. It's going to feel like a George Mason or a GW because a lot of fans were saying that that was a very intimate atmosphere with the way that GW, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but just the way that GW, the gym is set up. It's got kind of this little like ledge of overhang where you can stand and watch and it really makes it feel like the fans are on top of you. Um, And that's how ESA is, is, you know, on the opposing bench, there is that line and you've got the bench and literally like six feet behind you is the first row of fans. And also, you know, three feet to the left of you is another row of fans where the courtside fans sit and even, you know, the baseline courtside fans. So you're completely surrounded. Whereas you look at an NBA sized arena. Yes, there are fans, um, very close proximity, but I don't feel they're as, I don't, think they have the vibe as feeling as on top of you as I feel at ESA because even just from a broadcast standpoint I feel like fans are right behind me (laughs) it's been amazing to see how much DC has supported women's professional sports this summer Uh, between the spirit getting the world cup bump and and the people that go out to the mix of games this year has been pretty cool another city that people say that uh would really support women's basketball is your home city of of toronto and there's been rumors about uh wmba expansion and going north of the border do you think it could work in toronto yes and no yeah so no from the standpoint of if it's not the right investment group it can be it can completely blow up in the face of everyone mind you Commissioner Engelbert also said that if they're going to look at expansion, one, they need to worry about the CBA. That is their focus right now 
from a league standpoint and a players union standpoint. You can't expand a league if you don't have a CBA because that's part of it. Um, so from that standpoint, if they were to expand, Kathy Engelbert did say that they would be looking at expanding to cities that have an affiliation with an NBA team because they would like the NBA team to help with the investment group. So if that's the case, if you're going to go to Toronto, that means that MLSE and uh, Larry Tannenbaum and his family would have to be the investment group that would bring in the WNBA team. Um, and I think from a standpoint, if that was to happen, we saw what they did with the 905 and bringing in the G League team. Yes, it's a direct affiliate with the NBA team and the Raptors. However, the WNBA is under the NBA umbrella. So if you have the right group bringing in the team who also has experience with running a sports franchise um, and everything that goes into running a sports franchise, it can be done properly. As well, too, I actually think that the Hershey's, or not the Hershey Center, it's now known as the Paramount Fine Foods Center, I believe, <laughs> um, with the naming rights changing. Um, that's also a great arena because it sits about 5,000. Um, it's where the Mississauga Steelheads play hockey. And it's been great for the G League team. So they also would have a direct arena to be able to play out of. Um, so yes, it could work because when you look at the senior women's national team in Canada with Canada basketball, who has actually had more success in the last, uh, probably decade than the men's team has had, but doesn't get the same love and doesn't get the same respect in my opinion, as the men's team does basketball is flourishing. And then you look at, you know, you have a player like Kia nurse, um, who is the face of women's basketball in Canada and is playing in the WNBA. Um, why would you not want to try and bring a team there if done right? And then maybe even try to, you know, make a trade and bring the Canadian to play back home. Um, so yes and no, I think a franchise in the WNBA could work up there, but again, it has to be done correctly. And it a lot of thought and education and understanding has to go into bringing the team there and it needs to be done right. But first and foremost, it needs to be done when the team, when the when the teams and the league and the players union have a, a CBA in place. Real quick, you brought up the CBA. What are some important dates and actions that people should know about to avoid disaster for next season? I think when you when you look at the CBA, um, as we all know, the players union opted out of it, um, which allows them to negotiate sooner than later. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, and, and I could be wrong on the timeline, but I believe they had another year um, or two on the CBA that they opted out of. I want to say it was about a year left. Um, and I think when you look at the Players Union as well, too, it's in very good hands. When you when you look at the fact that Neko Gumake is the, pre is the <laughs> president, um, who also is a Stanford graduate um, and has the players' best interests in mind, um, being one, a player, obviously, but also to just make, wanting to make sure that they take control of what they can take control of. I think fans need to be respectful of the situation, but also to very patient um, because the risk of this, the risk of them opting out is if they can't get the CB, a new CBA negotiated and put in place, there is no WNBA. So, fans the biggest thing they need to do is just allow the players union and the league to negotiate this and figure this out so that 
everybody can get on the same page and WNBA basketball can continue because you also have to look at the standpoint next season is also an Olympic year, which means the WNBA is affected the most since they play in the summertime. So there is no all-star weekend next year because the Olympics um, and I'm still waiting to find out if they are condensing the season or if they just are doing what they've done in the past and taking, you know, that break um, and allowing everybody to kind of go their separate ways and then come back and finish the season. So when it comes to the CBA from both sides, um, just hearing what Kathy Engelbert from the commissioner standpoint and the league standpoint has said and what their focus is on with, you know, players have been very clear. They are understanding and they realize that they're not going to and are not able to get NBA sized contracts. That has never been their issue. Um, their, their biggest, you know, argument and, and fight has been trying to increase their revenue shares that they have. Um, when you look at the fact that they were getting under 20% revenue shares, but NBA players were getting 50%. And then you have people who will argue back and say, well, the NBA creates revenue. You guys don't at the same time, revenue is created no matter what. If there's money coming in, it needs to be split accordingly. And the players just would like to get a little bit more of the pie, um, among other things as well, too. But I think this conversation from both sides is in very good hands, um, especially when you look at Kathy Engelbert's previous resume with her job at Deloitte and what she was able to do with Im improving uh, revenue there. And I think that she understands as well, too, because she played the game. So she understands what's at stake from a different standpoint and a different mindset um, that can be re related to with the players. So I think both sides are going to come together with an open mind and have a very open and honest and respectful conversation. Um, and fans need to be patient and respect both sides on that conversation. And do you have the Mystics winning the title this year? Yeah. <laughs> figured, figured that. That's a good uh, I, guess. I do. I do. I, but I, th I think it's going to be so, I think the playoffs are going to be so much fun from Sunday on. Uh, but I do have I do have the Mystics winning, and I'm I mean I'm going to toss it out there. I got EDD winning Finals MVP too. There we go. Why not go. Why not go 50, 40, 90, <laughs> win a couple? You know, get named AP Player of the Year, WNBA MVP, and then win a Finals, and then win a Finals MVP. Just you know, just wrap the whole thing up. It's <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. So what's next for you, um, going forward? What's What's the dream? What are you working toward? Because we're all trying to build something. Ultimate dream goal. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say dream anymore because it's it's is now my goal is to <laughs> is to be at the NBA level doing play by play, whether it's directly with a team or you know on the national network side. Would it be cool to be the first woman to do it on a consistent basis? Yeah, but do I care? Not really. I just want to call NBA games um, on a consistent basis. So. My goal is to get to the next level and, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, uh, but, you know, fellow G-leaguers will appreciate this. I'm, I'm just waiting for my G-league call up. <laughs> Great stuff from Megan there. She's the best, isn't she? Like the absolute best. You can follow her on Twitter at Megan McPeak. That's M-G-H-A-N-M-C-P-E-A-K. But if you're reading this or if you're listening to this, you see it spelled out right on there, right on the episode number. So there's that. She's phenomenal. Guys, she's going to be a big star. Not to quote the president. 
huge star. She's going to be a huge star. But Megan McPeak's on, on her way up. She's already breaking ceilings, already doing all the cliches. She's phenomenal, phenomenal talent. So awesome stuff there. Guys, be sure to rate, subscribe, review. Five-star reviews would be awesome. Uh, rate us on all of your platforms, your Stitchers, your Apples, all that stuff. You can follow the podcast po- at Later Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me at Denny underscore Gallagher on Twitter, at Denny Gallagher on Instagram. And you can send all of your inquiries, questions, anything you got, laterpodcast at gmail.com. My big thanks once again to Megan McPeak. And let's tally up the boys from Tom, Dick, and Harry. Who, by the way, I hear, you know, the Who just released a song called Ball and Chain. As you guys know, I got the podcast Ball and Chain that Steve and Rebecca host. I produce it. And Tom, Dick, and Harry have a wonderful song on that show called Ball and Chain. So the Tom, Dick, and Harry lawyers better get their act together. And, you know, Pete Townsend. Oh, yeah. The boys from Minnesota, they're coming for you. Anyway, without any further ado, Tom, Dick, and Harry warming up. And until next time, later. Later.